Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I am your host tonight, Gavin. And I'm your co-host, Ariel Frame. And we are here with Reese Patterson from the Earth Science Department here at Western. How are you doing tonight? Great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing just fine. <laughs> Excellent. So um, for everyone listening right now, uh, so can you quickly, Reese, can you maybe tell them what is your project? Like, what is it that you look at in the Earth Science Department? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, I just started in September, so I don't really have a lot of meat to my project yet. Um, but basically, I am looking at the subsurface stratigraphy of the Clinton Medina units. Um, they're outcropping in southern Ontario. Um, that's where they're most known. Um, but basically, yeah, that's I don't know how else to explain it. <laughs> so, so there was two words there. There was subsurface and there was stratigraphy. So I'm thinking subsurface is just maybe... So I guess it's not the surface. That no, we're yeah. About so um, basically, I guess like the simplest way to to speak about it is, um, I'm a geologist and I look at layers, um, layers just like how you would look at them in a cake. Um, so basically, there are a bunch of layers in Ontario that are really important for oil, natural gas, salt, aquifers. Um, all that fun stuff, um, and my layers specifically. Um, are for natural gas production. Um, there are pools and um, plays that we're looking for. Um, basically, you're looking at these layers and picking the tops of those layers to create a bigger picture of Ontario's geology. And all these layers are underground. Underground. So, Everything oh. below our feet. If you scrape off all the soil and all of the gross stuff that... <laughs> humans have interacted with there's rocks below our feet and that's what we're that's what we're looking at so, so is the point of saying subsurface to say it's below the surface but not that far deep it's just like below, just yeah below the it's it's below yeah it's a solid yeah so we've got some some meterage there we got some feet there <laughs> there's <laughs> a lot feet? it's not yeah. like not like kilometers down though sometimes yeah oh, yeah and that still counts as subsurface yeah everything Yep. So you go right down to the core. Yep. Still subsurface. <laughs> Still subsurface, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they just only associate it to the point where you physically cannot survive at a certain depth. I don't know if that's true, but it could be an interesting way to define it. All I that. Mean, you don't happen to know where the deepest is they've gone. Um, I believe in terms of wells, I believe the deepest well is in Russia. It goes pretty far down. It's almost to like, you're almost hitting like magma probably. Like you're pretty, it's pretty far down. But there's nothing fun down there. You, what's the point of going all the way down there? There's no point. Oh, I mean, there's magma down there. That sounds yeah. pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're going to create a little volcano out of this little oh, hole that you drill out. Magma sounds pretty legit to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, each to their own, I suppose. So uh, you said you look at it. I mean, are you like going to physically look at it? Where I'm going to shrink at? myself down and then I'm going to go down this hole and look at all the different... No. <laughs> um, I guess, well, I guess I should probably explain this. Um, when something is drilled, so you're going to drill a core, whether it's through a cable tool or a rotary tool, basically what comes out is a little cylinder of rock that comes out and that is what is studied. Obviously, we can't see what is below the ground. We have to do a lot of geology is a lot of guessing. It's very much a guessing game at that point. 
Um, but when we bring out these these cores, they give us a little tidbit of um, of what is going on in that specific area. So across Ontario, there's probably like close to 10,000 wells um, all throughout Ontario. So um, especially in southern Ontario, where there is a presence of oil and natural gas and salt, um, people want to pick away at that. People want to explore that. People want to exploit that in a way. Um, and these cores are valuable information so that way we can make a huge picture as to what is going on below the surface. I mean, 10,000 boreholes, that sounds, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, I know the province is huge, but yeah. to be able to probably drill out that many, like how long would it take just for one borehole to um, be Depending on how deep you wanna go. Um, and also where you are. So if you're in Lake Erie, you have to account for, for the water. Um, if you are, say, um, up in like James Bay and Hudson's Bay, obviously that's super, like you've got permafrost and you've got frozen ground to deal with. Um, you could like, depending on where you are, um, like there's like soil and then there's like glacial till over top so you have to get through that and then you hit rock so um, you can go as deep as kilometers where you're going to hit Precambrian geology and then that's kind of like the stuff that you see up north um, in those big outcrops like on the side of the road when you're going up to the cottage um, that's at like the very very bottom very very bottom and then it outcrops up north um, the like the Paleozoic geology, like the Silurian Ordovician stuff, um, basically like hundreds of meters below the. So when you say like Precambrian or Zaleoic or whatever, <laughs> Ordovician and Silurian, right? Those things. Yes. Um, are, are those like times of like how do you, how do yes. you know those are from those things? Yeah. So uh, those are geologic time periods, I believe. So there's eons, eras, periods like varying amounts of time. So um, like we're talking like 150 million years old, that kind of thing. Um, they are distinguished um, by layers. Um, there are distinguishing features that tell us um, when this could have existed. So like biostratigraphy is a degree of um, sedimentology and stratigraphy studies that deals with um, fossils. So you're just looking for brachiopods, you're looking for conodonts, you're looking for um, basically any clue to give you like the the environment that this was created in. So um, if you're gonna find a leaf, you can probably date the leaf. If you have a piece of carbon, you can do carbon dating, you can date some shells, you can figure out the calcite and the aragonite and all of that stuff to figure out what time period you're actually in. But geology is one of those things that it's a it's a continuous science. So if you have Silurian age rocks in Italy, you'll have Silurian age rocks in Ontario or um, Precambrian stuff exists somewhere else in the world. Yeah. And with these ages, I'm guessing if like you talked earlier before when you mentioned about gas pools and wells where they could potentially find uh, oil. So I'm guessing if they find wells in one location, maybe within or between two different age rocks, I'm guessing then the companies would want to try and find other locations where there's a similar contact between 
those two types of rocks so they can maybe find potentially more oil and natural gas? Yes. So uh, one thing I will clarify, and most people think that this is okay. I'm not I'm just going to generalize this. But anyways, um, when I say pool, I don't mean like a random cave full of oil and natural gas and water <laughs> it's not like a cavern that we can just like pump into and like like a straw and like suck it up like that's not where oil exists oil exists in a rock like you know that saying where it's like you can't squeeze blood out of a stone or something like that whatever that saying is you're basically like squeezing oil out of a rock and then um there's a lot of like reservoir engineering and and pressures and all that stuff to release the oil in the rock and then that's how it comes to the surface um so, so when you when you bring it up to the surface are you bringing it up as solid like in a rock and then you like no. mess with it or you you do something down there and then you you and, so and then you get liquid on on the top man you're really testing my knowledge here <laughs> <laughs> so um you have a um say you have a sandstone so a sand if you picture it on the beach um you will have little um little almost like air holes and based on um basically the porosity and the permeability of the surrounding rocks um you will get oil or natural gas trapped in that sandstone and because there's little holes in that sandstone depending on how like compact it is um, that's where oil and natural gas will be found so then because like not everything is sand and not everything is shale and not everything is granite all that kind of stuff um, you have these um, areas of sand and then you have another layer on top of that and then you have another layer on top of that and another layer on top of that. So there's an immense amount of pressure on this rock. Um, so, for example, um, in Petrolia or like in Lake Erie, there's lots of pressure on top of these rocks. And then when you tap into it, the pressure releases. So when you release the pressure, all of these like all this whole this whole body of rock that has an oil or a natural gas thing in it the pressure will release and it will go it will go basically straight up so a little history fact the first commercial oil well dug in north america was in petrolia in oil springs ontario um so it the oil they were actually drilling for water because usually when you find oil or natural gas you're going to find water just based on like density and like that oil and water experiment um so you have they they were drilling for water. They ended up hitting oil. And then this thing just, they tapped it and then it spewed all the way up. Like basically like those like, um, those like little cartoons where they're like trying to like dig for oil. And then there's like a big spurt, spurt of oil like going up into the air. That's actually what happened in, in oil springs and Petrolia. It's like a huge fa fountain of oil. Yeah, basically. sprayed yeah, everyone. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So. So I'm sort of imagining like down there where this where the oil resides or what you're like, referring to as a pool is kind of like a sponge of maybe various thicknesses and it's mm -hmm. like soaked full of oil um, but it, maybe it's 
really, really fine holes, because yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah, 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 uh, really fine sponge of various depths, and uh, it's it's got like you push really hard on the sponge, and when you squeeze the sponge, the the water comes. If you've got water in the sponge, mm-hmm. the water comes out. But in this case, the water doesn't anywhere anywhere to go. Yeah. you've got like a dense sponge full of water, but it doesn't have anywhere to go until you tap it. Until and you then tap it's like, it, yeah. Okay, I'm going out. But where you where you yes. Poke Path the of least resistance. Go straight there straight up there. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, um, okay. Where is the borehole with the core that you're looking at? Because you said you're looking at a, a particular core, one of the like 10,000, right? Yeah. So my, I'm actually looking at um, a very specific unit in the Silurian Ordovician boundary. Um, so the Clinton Medina groups encompass um, a bunch of little formations in it. And so there's Thorold, Grimsby, Cambria, Kodak, Power Glen, um, formations and the Thorold and Grimsby especially are a prominent natural gas producer. Um, so back in the 70s people were drilling for oil. It's very well known. Um, but they didn't know what unit it was coming from. So they would drill down and they would say okay approximately like over here we can we can hit something and then something will come out and we can produce this and then they could go over like a couple of kilometers drill down and they're like oh there's nothing here so what has happened between those kilometers in between nobody nobody had no idea um so my project um is basically picking 20 to 30 key wells out of lake erie to look at the sedimentary structures and determine the top formations or the top picks are called picks um, to determine the differences between the Thorold, the, the Kodak, the Cambria, trying to figure out like where they actually are and how they sit in the stratigraphy. So the, those names you keep shouting out, those are those are those are the names of boreholes. Like they're they formations. So like boreholes are like formations are horizontal. Like they are the actual like names of the layers. So. Right. We've gone from like ages to boreholes to to formations. So like the formations are the names of the layers in the mm. rocks. Um, boreholes um, are basically drilled vertically, so they cross all of those layers. To so the formations too, right? Yes, and they cross formations, so they're going vertical down. Um, so they can be of varying depths. Um, usually they're measured in meters, but back then they measured in feet. So obviously there's some change in uh change in distances there thank god for the metric system right (laughs) (laughs) um so then we have these boreholes that um that have crossed these key areas for um for producing pools so they'll touch we know that it goes all the way down to say um the queenston formation and the queenston formation we know is the queenston because it's red it's a burgundy color. Everyone knows what it is. It's really easy to identify. Um, versus if you have something called um, like the Dundee Formation or like anything in like Guelph or Lockport or like that kind of stuff, it's all gray. It's all gray. There's so much gray. So that's when you guess you probably have to look closer yeah. at the rocks, maybe like what minerals is it made mm-hmm. of? Is its chemistry different? Yeah. Then you have to slowly try to narrow it down. So if you're only looking at boreholes, and that's only a small like piece of what they all look like, and if you want to get, I guess since you want to look at get a general idea of 
these formations or groupings of rocks and layers. How can you picture that with only just one borehole that only takes a small amount of so, rock on the ground? Uh, like I said earlier, geology is a lot of guessing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, obviously there's a little bit of like data interpretation. So um, if I want to look at all of Lake Erie, I can't cluster all of the all of my wells into like the middle of Lake Erie because it won't give me an actual representation of what's around me. So I have to, based on certain criteria, I would have to pick wells that spanned a general area. So I so Lake Erie um, majority of the natural gas pools kind of sit in like the central and like eastern part of it, whereas not so much in the western side of Lake Erie. Um, so that means I have to really extrapolate from like the middle of the lake all the way to the west and kind of have to figure out what the heck is going on over there. But in the eastern side, I know exactly what's going on because I have so many wells at my disposal to be like, okay, I can go through all 154 and make one big picture using mapping software, um, something like ArcGIS or QGIS, um, and even make it into like a 3D model with using like LeapFrog and Hydrostrat and like a bunch of different programs like that. So you can actually create a three-dimensional model of what it could look like beneath the surface, at least when your area with those boreholes. Yeah, so you can you can take it in a 2D perspective, so like an isopack map, basically topography flipped like backwards. <laughs> um, so instead of topography like going up and showing elevation, you're basically flipping it underneath and showing the elevation going downwards. Well, it's not really elevation at that point, but um, you can create an ice pack map and that will give you a idea of maybe the depths at which you can find these units um, and then um, yeah, like then afterwards that can be plugged into something that can create a, a 3D model, which can show a little bit more, like a little, maybe a little bit more structure or, um, you can fit it into a better picture the way that you want it to be. And I'm guessing that would help you be able to understand one, what environments maybe were like when those rocks were deposited, because I'm guessing maybe some environments would deposit them differently or they would have been interact, would have been layered, I would say differently, depending on what environment would have been like millions of years ago. And also you can maybe figure out if there's some, maybe, as I know you said before, pools, there's not really caverns, but if you saw like gaps between different layers, that can maybe give you an idea, like either something's there or maybe there's some sort of information that we're missing. Yeah. So. Um, basically all these different layers, um, all of these different formations have formed under different conditions. So, um, you have like the Silurian, you have the Ordovician, you have the Carboniferous, you have the Devonian, you have all of these time periods and all of these time periods are distinguished by different environments. So the Devonian was the age of fishes. So we're going to see a lot more fish, like fish scales, fish bones, different species of fish that don't exist anymore we're going to find more of those in that specific unit than say in the carboniferous which was um that was where you had bugs like 10 feet tall <laughs> and like lots of oxygen lots of plants all that kind of stuff um but these specific layers um are very very important um 
the depositional environments of each of each units kind of give us an idea of maybe where we could find natural gas, oil, salt. Um, like North America during the Paleozoic was at the equator. So we were about 10 to 12 degrees paleo latitude and it's very different than the environment today. So back then we were sitting on a beach. We had a inland sea and then the sea got closed off and then it evaporated. So when you evaporate salt water, you get salt. And then something happened, a different, a change in environment or a like um, a change in um, like plate tectonics or something like that. Something had changed the environment. So then the salt got covered. And then another layer was deposited on top of that. And that's why we get Windsor salt. And that's why we have Godrich because that's where that's where all of the evaporites have landed in present day North America. Can I, can I ask a sort of like meta question here? Yeah. Um, so if these different eras, you know, we're looking back at it and we're defining them based on like what the environment was there, which dictates what kind of minerals or what you see in, in the in the rocks there. Um, and we're now talking a lot about like climate change and climate's changing a lot. I mean, let's put aside for a second whether it's us doing it or not. Uh, spoiler alert, it's probably us. <laughs> <laughs> but putting, aside, putting that aside, um, if it's not unchangeable, like where the way it's changing now, it's going to continue to change and there's a major change and maybe, you know, a lot of species diversity changes on the planet and waters rise and <laughs> things move. Yeah. Is the, are we like looking right now at potentially like a, a new era? Is everything going to change? Yeah. So I believe, um, I believe we are living in the Anthropocene. So this is actually a brand new time period. And I'm using the word period. This is not the right terminology, but um, like studies now and and I can shout out to Francine McCarthy and her (laughs) and her um, research. But basically, she's looking at sediment core and she can see in that core where the Industrial Revolution is and she can pick that out. And that's a huge boundary where you see aerosols and you see um, like even in present day, we'll be able to see microplastics. We'll be able to see plastic in our in our sediment cores. And I believe that's what Patricia Corcoran is doing. That's what her studies are. Um, the Anthropocene, because of all the human like interaction, um, like we'll be able to see that mm-hmm. like 100 million years from now, probably when we're when we're dead and gone. <laughs> so I guess you're saying anthropoph- anthropos... Pros- how do you say that word again? Anthropocene. Ab- anthropocene. And that, like, kind of, I mean, just the word. Sounds yeah. like anthropomorphize. Yes, yes, uh, exactly. And when you anthropomorphize something, you're, like, trying to give it, like, human-like characteristics. Mm-hmm. And so we're saying anthropocene is, like, this is a time period where if you look at it, it's clearly dictated by us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, you can see Because we it, did the in- industrial yeah. rev- uh, revolu- yeah. revolution. Revolution, yeah. That was us. Yeah, you can see (laughs) like yeah, you can see um, you can see presence of of humans. Like humans, obviously, have been around for a long time, but like in in the very small aspect that we are. Um, But the presence of the industrial revolution, like that, is a that's a big thing, and that's distinguishable. And the fact that it's distinguishable shows that we have impacted the earth in such a way. Um, Probably like 
people will find our bones one day and question or like they'll see relics of phones or like relics of technology and they'll be like hmm what's this what what is this supposed to mean just as how us geologists are figuring out um why brachiopods live where they do or like why anthropologists and archaeologists are being like why did they put skulls in a cave like they have no they have no record but we have a record today <laughs> so when, when you say they when they look back you mean like when humans are extinct and they're like well what what, is, what who was? knows what'll come next maybe it'll be like some well there was no there was no species that ever lived forever like yeah these species go extinct i think it's besides like cockroaches or something hopefully like we maybe fly to a different location at that point yeah yeah i mean people are really um you know looking into ways of like keeping us alive and keeping ourselves alive. We could get real alive, deep huh? into this podcast to talk about conspiracy theories. We could. We <laughs> could. Oh, that's but a, but yeah. I, I, I want to touch a little bit. You, you mentioned all this software that you're working. I want to know mm-hmm. sort of what your day-to-day is. Um, day-to-day. <laughs> what, do you, what, do you, what do you actually physically do? Uh, do you actually have a sample? Are you working on a computer? What kind of data are you, are you actually making? So I have... Uh, cores at my disposal through the oil, gas, and salt resources library located in London. Um, There are over a thousand cores from across Ontario. There's over a million little vials of drill cuttings. There's, it's a geoscience research center. So basically what I do, I need to go there and look at rocks and look at samples. So what I would be doing is taking a core and log the core. So there's different Um, sedimentary structures that you're looking for so you can obviously you can see gradients in the rock um, depending on um, where I'm looking or anything like that it can go from a shale to a sandstone it could go to um, like a wax stone or a pack stone or like all that fun terminology but basically what I'm doing is I'm going to go through this this core and pick out what I think is the boundary between the Grimsby and the Thorold. Or who knows, maybe there won't be a boundary between the Grimsby and Thorold and it everything's wrong. <laughs> um, so basically going through all these cores, um, making notes, making notes of depths, and then taking that data and putting it into a database. Um, so putting that into a database, it then becomes public knowledge. So um, if any work is done on a core, any notes that I make, it's made note of and put into a file, which is also housed at the at the library, the Oil, Gas, and Salt Resources Library. And people in the future could come and look at the same core that I did and be like, she was wrong. That's definitely not the pick between the Grimsby and the Thorold. Like, what was she thinking? Um, but going through that, basically just sitting, looking at cores, and then adding it to a database, I probably have to look between 20 and 30, maybe even 50 cores to make an actual like full database to uh, to make a map. So you say it's uh, publicly available if uh, someone wanted to follow up on your work and see this publicly available stuff. Is there any way for them to do it or what's the best way for so average Joe to find the, out about what you're doing? <laughs> um, so the library, as I affectionately call it, um, the library is home to student theses, textbooks, not only um, like geological data, um, like rocks and, and all that fun stuff, but there's actually information there. So 
um, you can go and you can look at my student thesis or you can look at people's theses in the 80s. Um, there's historic well records and historic data dating from the 1900s when they first decided to do it in a huge ledger um, or they would hand draw points on a map and this is where the well is being drilled. Um, and the library is a really good resource just for any type of southern Ontario geology um, as a core repository. Uh, there's also one in Sudbury as well, um, but it just it's a it's a house of information. It's a powerhouse. So anything that you need to do with so like southern Ontario geology, then that's where you have to go. Very nice. I mean, if I want to dig in the detail, uh, I'll go there. And if I want you to explain it further more easily if can we find you on social media anywhere yeah so definitely follow shout out ogsr library <laughs> um follow Repeat that what was that one <laughs> follow um the o or it's ogsr library um on we're on linkedin we're on twitter we're on facebook we're on youtube uh youtube would be a great um a great little place to visit there's lots of quick little um, videos on Ontario's geology. We have a conference and we upload our conference talks. There's uh, the Geology Gals, which is what I'm a part of, and it's a kind of like a undergraduate focused video on like how to get a job in geology and uh, what fun things that you can do around Ontario that are really significant to Ontario's geology. Um, and if you want to check out more of my project or what I'm helping with. Um, there is a um, Geological Survey of Canada open file report as well as a YouTube video about it and it's available in um, it's available as a 360 video. Yeah. Okay well uh, unfortunately we are about to run out of running out of time but thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing us about your work and love of boreholes in the sounds <laughs> of it. <laughs> So this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Gavin, and my co-host was Ariel, and we've been speaking with Reese Patterson from Earth Sciences. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at gradcastradio. To listen to us, we are on the radio at CHRW at 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, or Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube, where you can find us on at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a great night.